Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Mark, and it's chapter 9, and we start at verse 14, from Mark 9, verse 14. And it's headed here, Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd, saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So far the reading. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on His Word as we consider it this morning. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Your Word. We're grateful that here we have the foundation of truth, and in it reveals the glorious work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we come and we pray that that gospel would dispel all unbelief from our souls, that with, with singularity of heart, we may worship and adore you for the gift of salvation you provide through your Son. We ask that your Spirit would use this word as it's proclaimed to touch our hearts, to draw us to your Son, and to strengthen us in him. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning as we pick up again in Mark, uh, Jesus descends from the mount in which he was gloriously transfigured with his three disciples. And this descent from the mount, I think, reflects well what, what we'd heard as our assurance of pardon. And I'd just like to reread that. It comes from Exodus 34, verse 10. And it's the promise that God gives to Moses, but to the one who is greater than Moses as well. And listen to what he says, and listen how beautifully Jesus fulfills this. He said, God said this to Moses, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Well, that's the wonder of our passage this morning. It's an amazing thing that Jesus does in the casting out of this demon. As he comes down from the, the Mount of Transfiguration, he, he finds a crowd gathered around the rest of the disciples, the nine who had remained, and maybe a few others as well. And there's a contest between, between the scribes and his disciples. And it's recorded in Matthew and Luke as well, but, but Mark gives us the most extended detailed account and tells us how Jesus confronts the faithless character of the parties involved. That's what we're considering this morning, that Jesus confronts faithlessness. That address that Jesus gives when, when he, he uh, responds to this, this request of this man, O faithless generation. He's not just talking to the Father, talking about his disciples talking about the scribes, talking about the crowd. The crowd is enthusiastic as they approach. A great crowd is there, and immediately the crowd recognizes, and they're greatly amazed, and they, they run to greet Jesus. They, they've been frustrated. You know, there's this, this communal frustration. There's this boy who, who's demon-possessed, and, and the disciples, they, they can't do anything. And the father's frustrated and the crowd's frustrated, unable to heal. Is Jesus going to perform this wonder? That's what the crowds wanted to see. Oh, magnificent possibility. But here again, we need to recognize there's, there's an expression of faithlessness. Faithlessness. It's not all the same. There's the scribes who are arguing. Boy's father. That's a beautiful statement. I believe, help my unbelief. And there's the disciples. Why could we not cast it out? Let's consider, first of all, the boy's affliction. Then we'll consider the three responses to that affliction. And thirdly, we'll, we'll hear what this text is teaching us about our supreme Savior. First of all, the boy's affliction. From childhood, this boy has suffered something that appears like epilepsy. He has fits, and he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth. On top of this, he is, he's both deaf and mute, though uh, the Father says it's only a, a spirit that makes him mute. Jesus recognizes it's a mute and deaf spirit, so the boy can't communicate. And 
he has these fits. Those who criticize the Bible suggest that, that what's being identified here is just kind of this primitive notion of medicine. That what we know today as epilepsy in this primitive time would have been regarded as demon possession. And so, you know, we shouldn't be, be too amazed that his disciples couldn't heal it because epilepsy is even today something that confounds the doctors. There are clues, though, in our text. If we listen to God's Word and listen to what it's teaching, there are clues that show that this is more than just a medical problem. This isn't some sort of primitive medical escape from a diagnosis. First of all, there's the evil intent of the fits that the boy endures. It casts him down, but it also causes him to roll towards the fire or towards water. It wants to destroy him. Not just some neutral medical event. Another clue is the response to Jesus as the boy approaches. The Spirit saw him, and immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground. And then when Jesus rebukes it and commands it to come out, it comes out convulsing him terribly. There is demonic possession behind this. We know from earlier in the Gospel account that even the demons recognize who Jesus is. Right early on from chapter 2, the demons respond to Jesus' presence. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so they're very concerned to preserve their host, and they convulse him significantly. Lastly, we know that this is demonic possession because Jesus does so. And that's the confidence that we can have. Jesus says, he's not confused. He knows intimately this boy's problem. And he commands this demon, this mute and deaf spirit to come out of him and never enter him again. And in this way, Jesus restores this boy. This is the boy's affliction. It is demonic possession. And though it appears as an epileptic fit, it's much more sinister than that. It is an entanglement with a host and the power of darkness. But now we need to consider the three responses. The three responses. First of all, there's the response of the scribes. Nothing is said about their arguments, what they're saying, how they're interacting. But we know from the way Mark writes that, that they were arguing with the disciples about their inability to heal this boy. This is part of what the Father is saying as well. He says it in verse 17, Teacher, I brought my son to you. This is what the, the uh, Father is saying to Jesus. Teacher, I brought my son to you. Now, he didn't bring him directly to Jesus. Now he did. But previously, Jesus had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He brought him to his disciples. So technically, Jesus hadn't been there, but remember how Jesus had commissioned his disciples earlier? Earlier in Mark 6. In Mark 6, he commissioned them to go out and he, he gave them, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And verse 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is what Jesus had commissioned. 
And their authority was the authority of Christ. So when there is a sense when, when the, this boy was presented to the disciples, they were presented to Jesus because those disciples bore the authority of Jesus. And this alerts us to what's going on with those scribes when they realize that these disciples can't heal the boy. It shows us one of the, the, the devil's devices. It's in the demonic possession of the boy, but it's also in the response of the scribes. In the strife and the arguments that they have with the disciples of Jesus when they don't perform. You guys represent the teacher. What a powerless teacher you have. You see, you can't do anything with this boy. The devil loves to sow division among the people of God. Division. Division because, you see, if, if the disciples are powerless, the teacher is powerless. And the scribes prompted by this, this rejection of the teacher come to the disciples and they cause this argument and the crowds are watching and they just long to show how powerless and how futile it is to follow Jesus. Why would you bother? The response of the scribes. The next response is the response of the father. Father of this boy, he'd come to Jesus' disciples hopeful, hopeful. He'd heard the word. The word had gone out. The word had circulated. The disciples had demonstrated the power. They had the power of their teacher. They had the authority to cast out unclean spirits. They had the authority to heal and to anoint with oil. And they had the authority of Jesus to do what he had commissioned them to do. Could this be the chance for his son to be delivered? And while all this was going on, these scribes had come and they had started this argument and, and we hear the Father. And Jesus comes and He says, what's going on here? And the Father says, the Father says, the, the effect of the scribes' argument, if the disciples are powerless, the teacher is powerless. It's sown this bitter root, caused this chasm in the father's heart, in his soul. And he says, I've brought him to your disciples. They can do nothing. But if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Did you hear that? The disciples can't. The scribes are saying that the disciples can't, the teacher can't. The father's not so sure anymore. Previously, the work of the disciples hadn't been all that successful. Jesus, are you able? Can you have compassion and mercy on us? 
And Jesus picks up on this. If you can, are you saying this to me? If you can, here's the creator of all things. Here's the one through whom everything was created. Here's the word of God made flesh. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And here's the wonder of the Father's response. It's a humility to recognize his own weakness. Immediately, the Father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help. He requests mercy, and the man responds with honesty and humility. I believe. Help my unbelief. Because right now there's a, there's a crack in his faith that needs fixing. It's like a, a stone chip in your windscreen. If not fixed, it will only get worse. And the integrity of your windscreen will be lost. And he comes to Jesus. He says, I don't know which end is up anymore. But if you can, do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. I surrender our condition to you. Here's an example for all of us. An example for all of us. Take your faith. Yes, take your faith to Jesus. But take your unbelief to Jesus too. Take your unbelief. Your doubts. Your discouragements. Take that to Jesus and look to Him for healing and the strength to go on. Have compassion on us and help us. I believe. Help my unbelief. Second response. The response of the Father. Third response is what the disciples need to hear about. Their question. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why, why could we not cast it out? Why were they unable? What happened to the authority you gave us? We've done it before. Jesus and Matthew, in Matthew's account, says it's not because your faith is too small. Faith the size of a mustard seed. How often that's used. And we think faith the size of a mustard seed. It's so small. And that's Jesus' point. The, faith, the size of a mustard seed can accomplish great things. It can say to this mountain, be moved into the sea and it will go. You see, it's not the size of your faith that counts. It's not the strength of your faith. It's what your faith is anchored in. It's the object of your faith. It's the one in whom you believe. And even the smallest faith, Jesus says, is sufficient to do amazing things. It's focused on me. It depends on me. Why can't the disciples do? And Jesus confronts their faithlessness with a reminder 
that yes, faith with a proper focus can do great things. But that faith that has that proper focus, even as small as a mustard seed that can move mountains into the sea, that faith needs to be coupled with prayer. With prayer. Faith isn't just a, a, a warm embrace of the soul of the Savior. It's an abject reliance upon and, and a, a recognition of a complete dependence in need on the power of the Lord to fulfill His work. Just because Jesus is absent doesn't mean you don't need His presence through prayer. This kind can not be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, it always struck me when Jesus said this, because you know the one thing that Jesus didn't do? He didn't pray. He just cast the demon out. This isn't about the power of God, that He needs our prayers to accomplish His work. It's about our weakness. And our reliance and dependence, complete dependence. Our recognition that without God's intervention, we're powerless to do anything. We may have the right object of faith. Does that prompt you to pray? Last week when we were talking about Psalm 103, we were talking, don't forget the blessings of the Lord. You know, blessed is the Lord, uh, blessed Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who, who forgives all your transgressions, who heals all your diseases. And we said, that's the blessing of the Lord. doesn't guarantee that all of our, our diseases are going to be healed, but we, we recognize that God has provided us with secondary causes like medicine, modern medicine, to heal our diseases. So we heard with whim he broke his leg. It would be inappropriate just to, to say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, he's going to heal my disease and not go to the doctor. That would be unbelief. But we pray that the Lord would use the surgery that he's endured, the pin that's been inserted, that God would grant healing so that he could regain his strength, that God would use that secondary means of medicine. That's physical. But we need to recognize that spiritually as well. Secondary causes. We wouldn't think twice about using medicine prescribed by a doctor or undergoing a surgery that he prescribes. Listen to the great physician when here are facing an impossible situation. And what is his prescription? For this secondary cause, spiritually, you need to pray. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You see, the disciples thought they had this authority in and of themselves, that they could just do this, that, that they were strong enough. No. You see, beautifully, prayer, prayer is that second cause that God uses, He will use to bring healing. What a prescription for our faith. What a response that Jesus gives to us as his disciples. Remember that we are completely dependent on the Savior. 
And thirdly, He is the Supreme Savior. And the healing of the boy, glorious power. Power of God to overthrow the devil. That's what Jesus is accomplishing. The help for the Father. He's able to restore your faith. He's able to deal with the, 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 the crack, the stone chip in your faith. He's able to heal it. He's able to strengthen it. He's able to handle your unbelief. He's able to answer and, and help you with your doubts. What a supreme Savior. And the, the lesson He gives to the disciples, their need of prayer, because only with God are all things possible. Prayer is that, that chief part of gratitude that, that God requires of us. Prayer is that gift that He's bestowed upon us. Prayer is that spirit spiritual prescription which the great physician gives us and he promises that with prayer he will give his grace and holy spirit to us which we are constantly dependent upon and jesus is alerting us to that and yet jesus as he comes down he shows the glory that he had on the mountain even in the presence of such struggling people because he, he rebukes this faithless generation because the unbelief that has, has taken part in, in their heart and, and taken hold in their heart, it causes the scribes to argue, it causes the Father to doubt, it, it causes the disciples to be powerless. Faithless generation. And he asks the question, how long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Word for bear is to carry you along. How long? And he shows his glory, a glory that he had on the mountain. He had all the glory of, of the divine person revealed in, in just a, a snapshot to his disciples. And he answers his own question, doesn't he? How long shall I be with you? I will carry your affliction all the way to death. I am the one who will overcome the power and the presence of Satan in your life. I am the one who will deal with your doubts. I am the one who will intercede on your behalf. How long shall I bear with you? I'll bear with you all the way to death. Remember, we, we, we learned that Mark is, is uh, probably the, the, the account that, that Peter gave to him. Peter must have basked in this teaching. Because he didn't have the physical appearance of demon possession. But Satan tried to sift him like wheat. But he would deny the Savior. But what did Jesus assure him of even before that happened? I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
This text is riddled with failures. The failure of unbelief. From the scribes to the Father to the disciple. How long will I bear with you? Right to the end, to my death. I'll carry you. And I'll be risen victorious for you. Peter. I think that's why this gets such an account. Peter recognized himself here. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Jesus prayed for that too, his repentance. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Wow. Peter knew his faithlessness. Do you? And where do you go with it? Only to the Supreme Savior. Amen.